Today, John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. And our theme today is sights and sounds at the empty tomb. Sights and sounds at the empty tomb. Well, if we learned anything from the last couple of years, it's how much we cherish and enjoy the physical company of those we love and how important physical presence is being face to face with one another. Uh, The shake of a hand or a hug, an in-person chat, simply sitting close to those we love. Suddenly we were made to realize how precious those things are and how crucial a part of human experience they are. And that shouldn't really surprise us, of course, because it's the way God has designed us. Whilst a lot of people today would claim that you can somehow separate your spiritual and physical identity from one another, uh, in fact, our spiritual and physical existence are really part of a whole. They, They belong together. They are both part of what makes us human. And that's one of the reasons why the the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important and why it's helpful for us to consider the reality and implications of the fact that Jesus literally, physically rose from the dead. There are many people who will be claiming over the course of this particular weekend, even some professing Christians, that if Jesus existed at all, he certainly did not literally rise from the dead. That he was a good man, he was a good teacher, an inspirational figure, but he didn't die and then come back. Others would say that the spirit of Jesus is what lives on today. That wherever you find people doing good and loving one another and being kind and so on, that that's the, the living spirit of Jesus, but his body is long gone. And you could walk into many a church building up and down this land this morning where something like that would be the message. The version of Jesus being preached by those people does not address the biggest need of human beings. It is not good news for human beings if Jesus was simply a good man who died like everybody else. Our biggest need is not just a remedy for a virus or an end to war, but a remedy for death, physical and spiritual. And that's why it's so important that Christians repeatedly and unashamedly proclaim the physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Human tradition dubs one Sunday a year, Easter Sunday, a day to remember the resurrection of Jesus. But in fact, the Bible insists that the resurrection of Jesus is what Christians gather to celebrate every week. It's why the early church began gathering together on Sundays instead of Saturdays. That's why the Apostle John refers to it as the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1. Every single week, what we, what we are, the whole reason we're gathering together is to rejoice and celebrate the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is physically risen from the dead. Each of the four Gospels in our Bibles finish by describing that very first Lord's Day. They all describe it in in slightly different ways from from different perspectives or angles, if you like. Uh, Just like you could could read three or four different news reports of of a big wedding or or a big sporting event or a musical performance. You could read two or three different versions. You could maybe see three or four different camera angles. And you would you would learn different things about the event depending on what your perspective was. 
but it's all telling you about the same event. And that's how it is with the four different gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And today I want us to consider some of the sights and sounds described for us in John's gospel from that first Lord's Day morning. I want us to confront the challenge we find here concerning the fact of Jesus' physical resurrection. And we are going to look at it from several different perspectives. But first of all, this morning, I want to think about it from the perspective of John. And with John, we see that John had faith by sight. John had faith by sight. Peter and John were two of Jesus' closest disciples, of course. We're told in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, that this woman, Mary Magdalene, who was also a close follower of Jesus, she discovers Jesus' empty tomb. And she goes and immediately tells the disciples. Peter and John then run to the tomb. And John describes himself here as the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never speaks of himself in the, in the first person. But uh, commentators, preachers are pretty widely in agreement that this, it is John himself that he's speaking of. And John was the youngest of the disciples and it, it appears also that he was one of the fastest of the disciples. And so John outruns Peter and John arrives at the tomb first. And yet perhaps because of the shock of seeing the tomb open and empty, John doesn't actually go in. Something holds him back from going right on into the empty tomb. Just notice all the small personal details that John gives us. Look at verse 5. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now you should ask yourself, why are we getting so many details about linen cloths? Why, why are we getting all these little bits and pieces? Well, it's very unlikely, friends, that if John was making this up off the top of his head, that he would think to mention a folded up face cloth. That he would even bother to mention where the, the, the linen cloths were. This, this whole account... Uh, it speaks to us of an, of an eyewitness account of the facts. John knows about these things. He knows where the linen cloths were. He knows where the face cloth was because he was there. Because this is how it really was. John's description also leaves us in no doubt that grave robbers did not steal Jesus' body. That's one of the very weak suggestions that people try to give to explain away the resurrection of Jesus that he really was dead and his disciples stole the body. How many burglars come into your home, steal your jewellery, but bother to fold up your ironing for you? Peter and John really saw an empty tomb. And it wasn't empty because of any interference from criminals. It was empty because Jesus had left that tomb alive. But then more importantly and more to the point that we want to make here, look at verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Now notice that John saw and then he believed. John believed in Jesus' resurrection because he saw 
the neatly folded up cloth because he saw that the tomb was empty. Now, if you think that John is, is quite proud of himself when he tells us that he saw and believed, you know, if you think that he's saying, well, look at, look at me, I, I believed because of what I saw. Uh, no, you've, you've misunderstood John, if, if that's the impression you get. He's, he's not giving himself a pat on the back for his belief here, friends. What he's actually saying is that he only believed because he saw. He's telling us that his faith at this point was a very limited faith. It was limited to his sight, his physical sight. Look what he says about himself and Peter in verse 9. As yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. What John is saying there is that if he and Peter had understood their Bibles better, they would have believed long before they saw the empty tomb. Because the scriptures had promised that Jesus would die and rise again. In fact, not only that, the Lord Jesus himself had told his disciples that he would die and rise again. Matthew 17, 22, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were delighted and they were happy and they believed. No, that's not what it says. It says they were greatly distressed. They were greatly, they just did not understand. Their faith at this point was so limited. And so as a result, friends, John is telling us here that he was limited at this point in his life to faith by sight. Now don't get me wrong, it's wonderful that the apostles did see an empty tomb and that later that day they did see the risen Jesus in his resurrection body. Praise God that they saw him with their physical eyes and that they then were eyewitnesses who went into all the world to tell everyone else this good news. But nonetheless, friends, John is admitting to us here that in the beginning, they had a very limited faith. He didn't yet fully understand. And yet even John's limited faith actually proves that the resurrection of Jesus is not something the disciples dreamed up. They weren't expecting it. They only believed when they saw the evidence for it. And then later when Jesus spoke to them, their faith grew stronger. Well, what about us 2,000 years later? We haven't had the chance to see the, the empty tomb just days after the death of Jesus. We didn't see the angels in the folded up clothes. We don't even know exactly where Jesus' tomb is. Because he wasn't there for long enough for people to know. So what about our faith? We'll look on down at John 20 verse 29. Look what Jesus says to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says to you and to me, 2,000 years and 5,000 miles away from the place where we could have seen him resurrected, he says, you're blessed. And the implication is that you're blessed in a way that perhaps the disciples weren't at that time, even when they were seeing Jesus face to face. Because we've been given a, a stronger faith. We have been given greater reassurance that if we have faith to believe in something we haven't seen, 
Well, that's a stronger faith than John had when he looked into the empty tomb. God has given us the gift of faith, friends. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He has convinced us about the truth of Jesus in his death and resurrection. And Jesus says, for that reason, you're blessed. You don't need to look in the empty tomb. You don't need to have seen the face cloth and the linen cloths folded up. If you have faith without seeing, then you are blessed indeed. One writer says, The Christian faith means more than the conviction that a resurrection has taken place. It includes understanding that the divine purpose revealed all through the scriptures has now taken place. That is, belief that God's entire plan throughout history was to save sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you have faith in that today, Jesus says you're more blessed than the disciples were at this juncture at least because you have faith by spiritual sight. You have a, a deeper, a stronger understanding than Peter and John had when they set eyes on the empty tomb. And of course there is always scope for our faith to grow stronger. Peter ended his second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3, by saying, grow in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dig into those scriptures, the, the law and the prophets and the Psalms that all speak of him. Strengthen that faith. Exercise that faith like you exercise your muscles. Pray as you come to the Bible each day. In the words of Psalm 119, open my eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. Friends, if you have faith like that today, Jesus says you're blessed. More blessed even than John was when he looked into the empty tomb. So John had faith by sight and by God's grace we can have a, an even stronger faith than that today. But secondly, let's think about Mary, Mary Magdalene. And with Mary we see someone looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Mary was looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Now you'd have to be a very hard-hearted person not to feel moved by the story of Mary Magdalene. Here she is coming along to the tomb of Jesus. First thing, at the, uh, as soon as she possibly could, while it was still dark, we're told in verse 1. The first chance she got after the Jewish Sabbath, she was going to the tomb. And other Gospels tell us that she wasn't the only woman uh, who went. And even here in John's Gospel, uh, she comes to the disciples uh, and she says in John 20 verse 2, We do not know where they have laid him. And so John's account is in perfect harmony with the other Gospel accounts. Um, but of course these women, they were coming to, to Jesus' tomb expecting to honour a dead body. Jesus died on a Friday afternoon. The Jewish Sabbath began on the Friday evening at sunset. No burial work was allowed after that time. And so as a result, Jesus' burial was quite rushed. And he wouldn't, uh, the, these, these ladies didn't get the opportunity to um, anoint his body and, 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 and give it the care that they really wanted to. And so Mary here is motivated entirely out of love and devotion and respect to Jesus. She, she wanted to come uh, and say goodbye in a respectful way. 
But Mary arrives at the tomb only to discover that the body of her precious Lord is gone. Verse 1, the stone has been taken away from the tomb. She tells Peter and John, as we've considered already, that uh, the tomb is empty. Peter and John, having gone to look at the empty tomb for themselves, they just go home, we're told in verse 10. They're, they're shocked, they're confused, they don't understand. But Mary sees the empty tomb and she cannot bring herself to leave it. Look at verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's heartbroken. All she wanted was to show one last act of kindness to Jesus. To give his body the respect that she felt so strongly that he deserved. And now she can't. And this is the last straw for Mary. As if Friday hadn't been bad enough. Watching her saviour dying that torturous death on the cross. And then the burial being so rushed. And then having to wait all day on the Sabbath. Unable to do anything more for him. And then up early desperate to get to the tomb on the, on the Sunday morning. Now the body's gone. She's heartbroken. But friends, the fact is that Mary was looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. She's weeping because she can't find a dead body. She should be delighted that she couldn't find a dead body. Twice in the passage, Mary has asked, Woman, why are you weeping? The two angels uh, ask her, and, and then the risen Jesus himself says, Woman, why are you weeping? Uh, and in the original, the word there, maybe it sounds a bit blunt, woman, you know. Uh, but in the original, it's a bit more affectionate than that. And of course, when Jesus says to Mary, why are you weeping? She doesn't seem to recognize him. One commentator suggests perhaps she's blinded by tears. She's weeping. You know, if you're, if you're that emotionally distraught, you, you sometimes can't even see your hand in front of your face. And so for whatever reason, she doesn't recognize Jesus. And then Jesus asks her another question. Whom are you looking for? What was it that you were hoping to find here? What, what possible good could it have done for you to, to find a dead body? And Mary is, is still weeping. She's weeping these unnecessary tears. Tears that come from looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. And she says in verse 15, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Notice she's just so focused on Jesus. If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and so on. She's just, she's just so focused. She's determined to, to do this thing that she wants to do. It's very commendable. Our hearts go out to her. But she's looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. And when we look for the wrong thing in the wrong place, friends, however well-intentioned we may be, the result is often the same for us as it was for Mary. Self-inflicted pain. Self-inflicted pain. We don't, we don't see things clearly. Mary's love for Jesus is beyond question here. Earlier in John's Gospel, she anointed Jesus' feet with tears and oil. She was at his cross when most of his disciples had run away in fear. She was one of the first to go to his tomb on the Sunday morning. But just like John, she lacks understanding. 
Her faith is limited. One writer says her tears were needless. Her anxiety was unnecessary. Her tears were needless. Her anxiety was unnecessary. She didn't have to be this upset. Sometimes, friends, we cry unnecessary tears. We become needlessly frustrated. We become needlessly angry because we have been looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place or the wrong person in the wrong place. Maybe we've been seeking approval or encouragement from an employer or a family member or a friend, forgetting that God in Christ says to us, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. We don't need the approval of anyone else. Maybe we've been busy planning out every detail of our lives. We want this and this and this to happen at just this time and in just this way. And we expect God to just answer our prayers in tick box fashion. And we're not open to his plans for our lives. And when he changes things, when he brings things about that we didn't want or didn't expect, it can lead to Unnecessary tears and frustration. Maybe you're hearing this today, either in person or online, and you've turned to virtually everything, anyone, anything, except the risen Lord Jesus. You've been devoted to your family, you've been devoted to your work, you've been devoted to your sport, your success, your house, whatever it might be, And yet you feel as lost and anxious and as hurt as ever. Perhaps today God is forcing you to get your eyes off what you thought was what you needed. And get your eyes on to the risen Jesus who has conquered Satan and sin and death. Mary was so focused on the empty tomb that she couldn't see the risen Jesus standing right beside her. She was so focused on what she thought she needed just to say goodbye to a dead Jesus that she couldn't see that something far better was there for her. What empty tombs, what what great expectations have been stealing your focus from the one that you really need? Are you looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place? I would urge you today, turn your eyes to the risen Jesus Listen to the call that he makes to you. Because that's the last thing to think about this morning. The risen Jesus calling his sheep by name. The risen Jesus calling his sheep by name. It says a lot, of course, about Jesus and again about the whole veracity of the resurrection account that Jesus revealed himself to Mary and these other women first. Uh, man-made Jewish laws, the Jewish Mishnah forbade women from bearing testimony in a court of law in Jesus' day. They were treated very much as second-class citizens in many ways. But the first witness of the risen Jesus is a woman because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is for all, male and female, rich and poor, slave and free. And it only takes Jesus saying her name for Mary to finally see everything clearly. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. There's the call of the shepherd to his herding sheep. And if you're a Christian today, you've experienced what Mary experienced in that moment. You have heard the risen Jesus call you by name 
not audibly perhaps as Mary did, but through his word and spirit. He has come to you in your heartache, in your confusion, in your sin, and he has called you unto himself and he has shown you that he is all that you need. Jesus says in John 10 verse 3, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow them for they know his voice. Mary knew Jesus' voice. Can you imagine the swing and emotion that she would have felt in that moment? Imagine a little child lost in a supermarket or some other busy place and they start to get upset and shed tears. Then all of a sudden they hear their name spoken by their mum or their dad. And all of a sudden tears of of, uh, sadness become tears of joy. And that's what happened here for Mary. She heard the call of her shepherd and her saviour. And in fact, Mary's Mary's emotions get the better of her somewhat because in verse 17, Jesus says to her, no doubt gently, but nonetheless firmly, (coughs) Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. Mary hugs him. She, She clings on to him. She doesn't want to let him go. As I said at the beginning, physical closeness is part of who we are. And it's understandable on a human level that Mary reacted that way. But Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, Jesus' words here might seem a little strange. Why did he say that in particular? Well, one of the things he was certainly saying to Mary was that things are different now. He is very soon going to leave the earth for a much longer time. He will ascend. As we thought about earlier, he will go up into heaven and sit down at the Father's right hand, which is where he still is to this day. And so Jesus really is is preparing Mary. He's saying, Mary, you can't cling on to me forever because I won't be here forever. There's still one more thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to ascend into heaven. And linked to that, perhaps what Jesus is also saying here is, don't just cling to me. Go and tell everyone else about me. You can't just stay here with me, Mary. You need to go and you need to tell others this great news. I haven't just risen for you, Mary. I've risen for all my people, the disciples. Notice also, friends, Jesus doesn't say, I will eventually ascend to my Father. He says, I am ascending to my Father. It's like he's saying any second now. It's it's the next thing that is going to happen. I've risen from the dead, and now I'm going to ascend into heaven. And you see, Jesus' life and death, resurrection and ascension, you can't really pull them apart. They are all part of the work that Jesus came to do. And he says, in a a sense, what he's saying to Mary is that my work hasn't finished yet. He said on the cross it is finished and that he had offered up the, the final sacrifice for sin, but he still then had to ascend into heaven. Don Carson says the resurrection is so tied to the ascension that if Mary can accept the one, she must be prepared to accept the implications of the other. So as joyful as Mary is to see Jesus, she has to let him go. And she has to be ready to see Jesus depart from this earth. 
And so Mary goes obediently and no doubt with great joy, verse 18, she tells the disciples that she has seen the Lord, just as Jesus told her to do. And just notice, by the way, how Jesus worded the message that Mary was to send. Mary was to go and tell his brothers. She was to go and tell his brothers, verse 17. Isn't it amazing that Jesus spoke of his disciples in that way? Those weak, limited, foolish men who ran away from him when he was arrested. Peter, who had denied three times that he knew him with swear words. Jesus, nonetheless, forgave them, loved them, sent, them to, sent Mary to them, his brothers. And friends, that's how Jesus describes all of you here this morning who are his followers as well. He calls us his brothers, his family. The New Testament repeats this over and over again. If you're a Christian, you are an adopted child of God. You have the same status as the Son of God himself. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, so one day all who believe in him, all his brothers and sisters, will rise from the dead, body and soul. Jesus has gone to enjoy a new, Jesus has gone rather to heaven. He will come back to enjoy a new heavens and a new earth with all his people. How can we be part of that? It's very simple. Respond to the call of the shepherd. If you hear him calling you today, do not harden your heart. Mary ran to Jesus, threw her arms around him because we're made for physical and spiritual new life. That's the promise that Jesus' resurrection gives to all of us. Elsewhere, the Bible describes the resurrection of Jesus as just the first fruits, just one part of something even bigger that's going to come. What is that? The resurrection of all of us, all of Christ's people. We will be resurrected just as he has been. And if you want that destiny for yourself, listen to the call of Jesus upon your life today and respond to that call and stop looking for the wrong things in the wrong places and put your trust in the risen Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen.